0: In the early 1970s, there was no team more fun to watch than the Oakland A's. A's writer Jason Turbo put it best. They were dynastic, bombastic, and fantastic. Dressed in polar bear white cleats and bright greens and yellows, the Oakland Athletics demanded your attention. Their play on the field was as captivating as their uniforms, led by a young slugger, 1973 MVP Reggie Jackson. Future members of the A's Hall of Fame Gene Tennis, Ray Fossey, Sal Bando, Burt Campaneris, Joe Rudy, 1971 MVP Vita Blue, five-time world champion Catfish Hunter, at a six-foot-four, handlebar, mustache-wearing, right-hand-throwing, game-controlling, Raleigh Fingers.
1: One out away from the championship by the Oakland A's. Fingers deals, a comebacker. Fingers has it and blows the first. Raleigh Fingers wraps it up and the Oakland Coliseum explodes into ecstasy. As the Oakland A's captured their third successive world championship,
0: Raleigh Fingers began his Hall of Fame career pitching for the Oakland A's in 1968. He was a seven time All Star, three time world champion with the Swing and A's, winning three championships in a row 72, 73, and 74. He won both the AL MVP and Cy Young Award in 1981, and he is my guest today. Welcome to Lost Ballparks Extra Innings.
1: first ball game ever to be played in this beautiful new stadium will go into extra innings. Well, it's moments like these that make baseball the kind of a game it is. At the end of nine, it's all tied up. we go to extra innings. That'll be the first extra inning game of the year for the Tigers. Play on in this strike three second out and we'll be going into extra innings. We certainly hope things are just fine for you, wherever you may be. Get yourself a nice, cozy corner. Just spend the afternoon with us. If you want to kick off your shoes, well, you go right to it. It's your day. Hey, Mike, it's Raleigh Fingers.
0: Hey, Raleigh, welcome to the Lost Ballparks podcast. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes of your time with us. What do you remember about your first major league game? Where was the first big league game that you ever went to as a kid?
1: Uh, That would have been in uh, Southern California. I grew up in Southern California. They didn't have uh, any big league teams back when I first uh, got there. That was in 1955. But the Dodgers came. Uh, a little later on, and my dad took me to a a game at uh, the Coliseum, I think it was in 1959. This is Los Angeles where a long time dream of big league baseball suddenly came true two years ago. And here's the Coliseum where over two million fans visited the temporary home for the Dodgers as a testimonial to baseball's excitement and thrills.
0: Do you remember who the Dodgers were playing that day?
1: They were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates is holding Clemente on, but Gil will be ready to jump off the bag with a left-hand batter up there. We have plenty of seats, so if you're anywhere in the vicinity making up your mind as to what kind of a crowd there'd be today, but well, we have the seats, and we hope you'll come on out with us. And that uh, was the first big league game I'd ever been to, uh, and uh, I remember the Dodgers got beat that day by the Pirates, but uh, I remember Dick Stewart making a uh, Uh, A couple of great plays in that game, but that was my first big league game.
0: When you were in the minor leagues, you pitched for the Birmingham A's at historic Rickwood Field. That ballpark, which opened in 1910, still stands today, and the list of all-time greats, including yourself, who played there is long. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Dizzy Dean, Stan Musial, all those guys played at Rickwood Field. What year would you have pitched there?
1: I, I played there in 1967 uh, and 1968. Uh, Reggie and Jackson and myself and Joe Rudy and Dave Duncan, uh, we were all members of that uh, of that team. And uh, that was a double-A ball club in the Southern League. And uh, one of the oldest ballparks in the country. And a lot of history at that ballpark. A lot of great players go back, uh, played there, or going back to Satchel and Willie Mays.
0: And I know you liked pitching at Rickwood. You understood the history of that great old ballpark. But something happened to you while you were pitching there that you would probably, at least at the time, would have liked to have forgotten.
1: Uh, fact opening day in 1967, I was a starting pitcher. And uh, in about the fourth or fifth inning, a guy hit a line drive back and hit me right here in the face and uh, shattered my cheekbone. I got wiring all here in my cheekbone and uh, broke my jaw, lost some teeth. Uh, it was a kind of a mess for about two and a half months. And, uh, it was a uh, kind of a bad situation, but I came back from it. And, uh, but uh, that was one of the bad things that happened there. But we, uh, ended up winning the, uh, Dixie World Series back there, uh, that year. And, uh, that was a, that was a lot of fun. We had a great team.
0: When you began your career in 1968, there were some great old ballparks in the American League. Tiger Stadium, Fenway Park, Metropolitan Stadium in Minnesota, Comiskey Park, Yankee Stadium. What were your favorite two ballparks to pitch in?
1: Uh, Fenway and Yankee Stadium were probably the uh, two uh, most uh, fondest ones that I pitched in. Which would you say was your favorite? Uh, probably old Yankee Stadium, I would have to say, where the monuments were in center field. Uh, in fact, my first time there, I, I left the hotel in the afternoon and went out to the ballpark early, about one o'clock, and just to be out there by myself, and I went out and walked the ballpark. I, I mean, I walked all the way out to the monuments, and you look in from uh, the monuments to the home plate, it looks like half a mile, <laughs> but... uh uh, it was fun uh, just walking around the stadium that day, standing on the mound, uh, where all those great pitchers pitched back in the uh, early years, uh, stood in the left-hand hitter's box where Babe Ruth stood and Luke Gehrig, and uh, it was bringing back a little bit of history. I loved, you know, I've seen those ballparks in films in uh, black and white when they were playing the World Series and stuff. This is the house that Ruth built. It was opened 35 years ago when the Babe bestowed the baseball world. And it stands today as a memorial not only to him, but also to Lou Gehrig, Bill Dickey, Joe DiMaggio, and all the other great Yankees who were the heroic figures in the long line of championships. I finally got a chance to actually stand on that field. so. Uh, A lot of history there.
0: Oh, I can't imagine. The owner of the Oakland A's, Charlie Finley, ran the team from 1960 to 1980. In addition to a petting zoo beyond the outfield wall at Kansas City's Municipal Stadium, he was also responsible for Harvey the Rabbit.
1: Do you remember Harvey? He was our little rabbit that came up out of the ground.
0: Yeah, Harvey was a tenant in both Kansas City and Oakland at uh, Municipal Stadium and then later on at the Oakland Coliseum. He was a mechanical rabbit that popped out of the ground behind home plate and would deliver the umpire new baseballs.
1: Uh, Uh, We had that in 1968, uh, and then I think they took it out after that. Uh, But he was there, he only had one year. He had had a bad year, I guess. Couldn't get the balls up in time or something, I don't know. uh, Charlie Finley ended up taking him out of there.
0: June 15, 1976, Charlie Finley sold you to the Boston Red Sox, along with Joe Rudy, for $1 million. The Sox were in town that night, so you literally walked from your clubhouse to
1: theirs. I got to the ballpark, and they told me that I had just been sold to the Red Sox. So I just went over to my locker, got all my stuff out, went over to the other clubhouse, and uh, got hopped in a locker over there. I was a uh, locker next to uh, uh, Rico Petrocelli. And um, in fact, he had just hit the home run off me about uh, two or three months before that, I think. Uh, but uh, uh, Joe Rudy and I both got uh, sold to the uh, Red Sox for a million dollars. And then uh, Bowie Kuhn uh, nixed the deal. And uh, made Charlie give us uh, give us back to the Oakland A's, and Charlie had to give all the money back uh, uh, to uh, Tom Yaki, the owner of the uh, Red Sox, and uh, he wasn't real happy with it. And um, he um, he told us uh, after we went back to the A's that we couldn't play. We were on uh, just on a list. We couldn't, we couldn't suit up. We couldn't play in any games because Charlie felt as though he was right. And so Bowie Coon said uh, that uh, we had to go back, and Charlie didn't play us. So we basically played with uh, 22 players. For how long? How long was that? Uh, about two weeks.
0: Didn't he make someone else not suit up too? I know it was you and Joe Rudy, but it seems like there was somebody else.
1: Bite of Blue was in uh, one of the deals with the New York Yankees. Oh, that's right. All three of us were on the bench. How did you guys
0: get back into the lineup?
1: We ended up having a team meeting uh, in the clubhouse, and we all got together as uh, teammates, and we voted that if we uh, weren't put back on the uh, active list, that we were going to uh, not play a game against the Minnesota Twins. I think it was on a Sunday day game, and uh, we weren't going to play. Charlie Finley was going to lose the gate if they didn't put us back on the list. And uh, so uh, uh, Chuck Tanner was on the phone with Charlie Finley in the clubhouse, and uh, Chuck came back out into the clubhouse and started to read the lineup. And uh, uh, he read, uh, leading off, uh, Burt Campanaris hitting second, Billy North hitting third. Uh Joe Rudy, as soon as we heard Joe Rudy's name, we got up and got our clothes on because we were all sitting in our lockers, in our street clothes, ready to go home. So uh, that's how we got back on the roster. But uh, that was a crazy day in baseball, let me tell you.
0: I mean, it's such a crazy thing for an owner to do, to sit three all-stars, a future Hall of Famer. It's unthinkable.
1: But uh, we all got through it, okay? So,
0: Raleigh, listen, I know you get asked to do a lot of interviews, podcasts, TV appearances. So, uh, listen, I'm really grateful for the time you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Have a great day, Raleigh.
1: Enjoy yourself. Have a great time.
0: Bye. Raleigh Fingers pitched 17 years in the big leagues for the A's, Padres, and Brewers. He was the first pitcher to reach 300 saves. And one quick footnote on the most famous mustache in baseball history. In 1972, the majority of baseball teams required their players to be clean-shaven. In an effort to stand out from the crowd, the Athletics' eccentric owner, Charlie Finley, who was always dreaming up unique promotions, offered $300 for any one of his players who grew a mustache. Raleigh took the cash, grew the stash, and over 50 years later, he still got it. One other quick note, I'm not sure I've ever seen or heard an outdoor stadium more electric than County Stadium in Milwaukee on October 3rd, 1981. At the end of that strike-shortened season, the Tigers and Brewers battled for the division title. Milwaukee led 2-1 going into the top of the ninth, and Raleigh Fingers was brought in to close the game.
1: Ninth inning at County Stadium in Milwaukee and the Tigers are down by a run. And they've got their work cut out against this tough relief artist, Raleigh Fingers.
0: He gets Rick Leach to fly out, Champ Summers to strike out.
1: Well, the crowd is chanting, Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh right now.
0: And then Lou Whitaker.
1: Whitaker's going to have to hit with 30,000 screaming down his throat. One ball, two strikes, and they are really screaming at the moment. It's the pitch. Fuck him out! It's all over, it's all over. Raleigh Fingers has put the Tigers down in the ninth inning, one, two, three.
0: For those who were there that day or watched on TV, that is a moment in Milwaukee baseball history they'll never forget. The Lost Ballparks podcast is produced by Manny Zavlakis, Mike Dunn, John Carter, Alex Kemp, Briggs Buckingham, Xavier Guerra, Mike Lipinski, Ryan Beard, Kyle Schmidt, and Brian Binkert. I'll be back on Monday with a new full-length episode of the Lost Ballparks podcast.